that deal with marriage. You know, I'll let you think about that the next time. So that's my paid announcement for the next marriage retreat, whenever that may be. Now, those of you who are, who are very observant will probably notice that, you know, Steve, I think it's only once every three years that those readings come up. So I don't think that's going to happen again. But I'll leave that up to you. But marriage is an important thing. I mean, it's, we're all, we're all products. Well, we've all been, you know, associated in some personal way with marriage. I mean, we have, I think, hopefully, we have a mother and we have a, and we have a father. And that's how, you know, we were born. Most of us, um, grew up in families you know that had a that uh, that had a mother and a father who were who were married and hopefully still are married some of us uh, in here are married right now some of us have been have been married some of us you know sadly our spouses have have gone you know on to be with the Lord um, others have experienced divorce others have never been married so this is an important topic. It's an important word, marriage. It is, it's, the, it's the foundational building block of society that God has established. So it's an important thing. But unfortunately, you know, in our society, um, there's a lot of problems with marriage. I believe that uh, nearly half of all marriages eventually end in divorce in the United States. And in other countries, I don't think the statistics are that much better. And sadly, in many parts of the Christian church, there is a very high divorce rate as well, approaching you know, what it is for the rest of society. So what God has to say about marriage is, is very serious. And there's a great book that I will be reading in the next month, and unfortunately I've only just glanced, uh, glanced at it a bit. Um, it's called The Meaning of Marriage, and it's by Timothy Keller, who has written some other books, and he is a Presbyterian minister of a church called Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City that his wife and he started in 1989. And that church in New York, I believe, has... Uh, between at least over 5,000 people attending it, and it may even be higher, and I believe they've planted another 100 churches in various parts of the United States and outside of the United States. And he is a um, very gifted teacher and preacher. And in this book, and on the back cover jacket, he says, I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage, at weddings, in church, and in Sunday school, much of what I've heard on this subject has as much depth as a Hallmark card. While marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it is also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats and exhausting victories. No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Therefore, it is not surprising that the only phrase in Paul's famous discourse on marriage in Ephesians 5 that many couples can relate to is verse 32, 
which reads, A man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Sometimes you fall into bed after a long, hard day of trying to understand each other, and you can only sigh. This is all a profound mystery. At times your marriage seems to be an unsolvable puzzle, a maze in which you feel lost. I believe all this, and yet there's no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. And that is why, like knowing God himself, coming to know and love your spouse is difficult and painful, yet rewarding and wondrous. Um, hopefully, you know, as I said, actually in here I think you know, it's possible a majority of us are not married. I am not married, have never been married. And so I, I just, I pray that God will, uh, and the Holy Spirit will find a way to, you know, speak to all of us. And, you know, it's, this marriage is a, a, the topic of both our gospel reading and our Old Testament reading in Genesis. And in our gospel passage, Jesus unequivocally declares that divorce is not part of God's plan for marriage. Jesus wants his disciples to honor the bond of marriage between husband and wife that God alone establishes. God created marriage from the beginning of creation when God joined man and woman into one flesh. And Jesus says in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2 verse uh, verse 24. Um, and, and as I, I speak this, and you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to go really much deeper than the, the Hallmark card, um, but um, it's, um, you know, there's some important stuff that Jesus says, and, it, and, and I will try to kind of tie it into the context of what Jesus has been te uh, teaching and speaking about in Mark's gospel in the 8th to the, to the 10th chapter. And this divorce and marriage that he speaks of is one, is one topic that he has a certain thing that he wants his disciples um, you know, to follow and, and to understand. Um, and whatever I say, because also Jesus, he's just asked about divorce, and I'm largely going to just stick with the, the passage. And divorce happens. Divorce, I know, has happened at least somewhere in the pews, the pews right here, or has been, been experienced. And, and I'm not here, uh, you know, to pronounce any, any judgment on anybody, um, but I'm just you know, going to deal with what Jesus says in, in, in my, you know, great imperfections. And I don't come to you, you know, as somebody, uh, you know, who has, uh, um, you know, has not fallen, you know, in, uh, in areas a bit that are dealt with, you know, in this, in this passage. And the interest, well, and I think, you know, certainly to the disciples and to the people who heard Jesus, what he says is quite staggering because in Israel in the first century divorce was lawful 
and divorce happened. And it was divorce, and then there would be remarriage. You, you went through a divorce, you know, you were grant, a divorce was granted so that you could then remarry. And Jesus, you know, as chapter 10 begins, you know, he's just teaching um, his disciples, and then a big crowd has come up, and then all of a sudden, the Pharisees come to him. As Jesus now is in Judea, and with and, you know, he's making his way to Jerusalem. So the Pharisees are coming up to him. And they have not been a fan of his. Um, and it's even back in Mark chapter 3, you know, we read that, uh, that the Pharisees were looking for a way to kill Jesus. So they come up to him in verse, three, um, in verse 2, and they ask, they question Jesus whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now, they're not asking this because they're really, they really want to find out what Jesus says, whether it's lawful or not. They know, the, they know the answer, at least in Israel. There may be some debates on when it is lawful to have a divorce. Um, some, you know, it could be a, for the most conservative, um, you know, rabbis and religious leaders. Um, it would require the case of adultery. But there were many other religious leaders that taught divorce, you know, was fine, you know, pretty much anything. You know, if, uh, um, I won't use a name, I'll resist that. If, if wife burns the husband's meal, you could, he could be divorced. He finds somebody, you know, that he finds fair. He could say, I want to I wanna divorce. So, and, and divorce was lawful and, and was a common thing in Israel. And also in the, uh, the Greco-Roman society, um, you know, that, uh, that, that, that dominated, um, you know, the world that Israel uh, lived in. So the, the Pharisees aren't interested in, in, in whether Jesus says it's lawful or not. They're probably trying to trap Jesus to give an answer that John the Baptist gave to King Herod Antipas, who is reigning over this area of Judea, that he, that he told him, you know, that you and your wife Herodias are an adulterer, because remember, Herodias is the one that divorced her husband, who was Herod Antipas's brother. And you know what happened to John the Baptist, what that got to him. He had his head, he had his head cut off. So that's, what, that's really what they're about because it was, you know, a husband could, you know, divorce his wife. So, but like Jesus often does to these, uh, these, these religious heavyweights in, in their own eyes, he answers them with a question. And he says in verse 3, what did Moses command you? And then... They said to him, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Our uh, Bible that we read said, put her away. And the Pharisees are quoting, are, are citing Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses uh, 1 to 4. But I think they take a little liberty with saying that Moses permitted a man 
Because if you go to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found something improper in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. Moses, I don't think the way I read that is not saying it's okay. Moses is actually declaring this to help out the woman who's being sent out from this marriage because it was only the husband that could divorce, call for a divorce of his wife in, in Israel. So he's just saying this to protect the woman and then also the children as well. Because if the, if the wife who's put out and divorced does not have a written certificate of divorce, she can't get married again. She would be committing adultery. And we know that's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So by this certificate of divorce, they're getting around the committing of adultery because you're no longer married. And Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees why Moses did this because he said of your hardness of heart that's already, that, you know, is seeking, you know, your own selfish desires, you're not honoring God's desire that marriage be permanent and forever. So Jesus goes on after he says this to, um, to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the world, when he created human beings, and he also created marriage. And this is his, this is where he's giving his answer to whether it's lawful to divorce for a man to divorce a wife. And he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then the real answer is in verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus is saying that no, it is not lawful in God's eyes to divorce. So the disciples hear this, and then they return to the house, and they start asking Jesus questions about what he told the Pharisees, because it's not what, you know, their understanding of things. And so Jesus repeats his assertions that God does not, permit divorce. God does not think that it's right. But he goes further because now he's got like parallel verses. Verse 11 is what they would, uh, well, the, the first part of it, you know, that whoever, a man divorces his wife, yeah, you can do that. But then he says, and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. Further, you know, explaining that, no, this is not lawful. But then in verse 12, he says something profound and different from what any other teacher in Israel has said. If she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. 
he's putting the man and the woman on equal footing, just like while you know, God had different roles back in the Garden of Eden and back when he created man and woman, he said from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He didn't say God made them male greater than female. He said God made them male and female. And there are two who now come together and are one. So there's really no room, if you're one, there's no room for one to be greater than the other in God's eyes. There are, we, men and women and husband and wife have, have different, you know, have different makeups, um, but, and they have different roles and functions. God ordained roles and functions, which we know, and, and especially, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, talks, you know, says as much as anybody, you know, about that, and that's back in Ephesians chapter 5, and actually, I'm going to begin it at verse 21. A lot, of, a lot of men, you know, don't like to begin here. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then verse 22, the verse that, uh, that some men like and like to lord over their wives. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I am the king of this castle. What I say goes. That's what some, you know, husbands will say. But, for the, but then going on in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. You know, good, the men. You know, I still buy that. That sounds good to me. But then verse 25, and, and here's the payoff. You want that, husbands? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but, so, so that, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So yes, husband and wife do have some different responsibilities that God has ordained. But they're both to be subject to one another. And that verse kind of governs what goes there. And the husband is, to be, is even to be willing is to do anything for his wife to keep her as holy and blameless before Christ, to love her, to cherish her, even to the point of his own death. And I'm sure... That is something that many women would love to do when a man does that because that is man's responsibilities in marriage. And when man fulfills these responsibilities in marriage, he does a great thing, and, and, and the wives too, for society. 
Because I've heard pastors and others teach that the best training, the best thing you can do for your parenting and raising of a child is to have the best marriage you can and is in how you love and how you treat your spouse. So all of us are affected by that. Then you take that further because the family, no matter what areas that that our society tries to move in on, on the family and in ways that they try to make it harder for the family to be what God has ordained them to be, the family is, you know, the true hope of our society because that's really, it's families that make up that make up our society. And, and then also when we have that in our church, because some of us may not have, we may not have a family anymore, but we're part of the family of God, the body of Christ. We're part of this place. And when we have healthy marriages, healthy families in, the, in our body, those of us who are not married, or who have lost our spouses will be better off because of that. So what Jesus teaches us is profoundly different from what the the religious leaders in Israel taught in their day. And it's very different from what much of society tells us today. You know, we can see that certainly in our secular world, but the church also has some errant teaching um, and also has not been a good example in, in all cases on, you know, the sanctity of marriage. But this is all part of Jesus' radical discipleship that he calls each and every person to. So whether your call now is to no longer be married, you, you have Jesus that you can marry yourself to. You have Jesus never leave you, never forsake you, just like our brothers and sisters who are married. Because it is only through that relationship with Jesus Christ and the strength of that relationship that our married friends can really grow that marriage, and have that marriage be all that God intends it to be. And that's the only way when we are sold out for Jesus, when, you know, He, we try to be the bride of Christ as much as we can. It's the only way that the church is going to be the church to a society that needs Jesus Christ desperately. And it's part of this hard discipleship that Jesus has been preaching. We can't, couples can't just run when the going gets tough because no matter how much you try, if, if you're thinking that now, you can't fully separate it. And it's also not your place to separate what God has joined together in husband and wife. And Jesus has done something even harder. 
And he's, told, he's telling his disciples, he tells them three times in, in chapters 8 through 10, I am going to die. I'm going to be um, surrendered over to men. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again after three days. And then he teach after each one of these, he teaches his disciples who are either not about God's plans. No, you can't, no, Lord, you can't do that, says Peter, who the word rebuke. I always love Peter rebuking the Lord. No, you can't do that. Or then the second time after he says it, they've been walking a 20-mile journey, and they haven't asked him a question about that. They just start talking, they're talking about, you know, who is the greatest amongst them. And then Jesus asks them, what were you talking about? And he knows what they were talking about, and he tells them, if you want to be first, you have to be last and servant of all. So we may want exaltation, but we need to have, we need to be down at the bottom. We, 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 we come to greatness in Jesus Christ, and it's only, the only greatness that, that, that I can have, that you can have, really, is when we, you know, latch on to Jesus, because he is the one who is great, he is awesome, and he is mighty. And so, that's what we are. We are servants. And in marriage, the husband and the wife serve the needs of each other. And that's how marriage can be all that it's intended to be. And can be the happy stuff of Hallmark cards and the happy endings of those infrequent uh, uh, romance movies or books that are pure is when we submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Amen.